Amnesty's secret comedy podcast with your host, John Maloney. Welcome to Amnesty International's secret comedy podcast live from the Underbelly in Edinburgh. Well, I'm your hostess with the mostest. My name is John Maloney. So, right, let's uh, get ready to let the secret out of the bag. We've got stand-up from Lee Camp and Diane Spencer. We'll be discussing teddy bear eyes and balls of steel with Alfie Moore and Mark Dolan. Beardy Man will be dropping in some bear beats and spitting sick lyrics. That's, uh, that's a youngster's reference. Uh, I don't actually think he's ill. Um, and if you like everything you hear, make sure you keep listening to the end of this podcast to find out where you can contribute to the human rights organisation Amnesty International. But first, let's hear from the man who dares to shine an evangelical light on the darker recesses of modern media. Oh, and he's pretty funny too. Please welcome Lee Camp. Thank you. How is everybody today? You all right? Yeah, good, good. Uh, I, I'm excited to, to be here because I think that even, even something like the Amnesty International podcast is an important alternative media because the media now is a pile of shit. I mean, it's pretty bad. It's a little better over here. I'm from the United States, and there it's like, holy crap. Like, they, they did a survey and found out that people who only watch Fox News know less about what's happening in the world than people who watch no news at all. Like, that is mind-blowing, because no one would keep watching a sports channel that made them dumber about sports. You know, just walking around like, yeah, the Lakers beat Tiger Woods! <laughs> People are like, I don't even watch sports, but I'm pretty sure one of those is a basketball team and the other's like a tiger or something. I flipped it on the other day, Fox News, because it is my favorite comedy channel, and they were covering, they were covering a viral video of a toddler on stage, because viral videos are news now, of a toddler on stage singing, and the church is cheering, and the lyrics to the song are, ain't no homos gonna get into heaven. And it's viscerally repulsive, right? It's repulsive to picture parents. They had to sit him down, sit him down over weeks, over weeks, and teach him a song with a double negative in it. I mean, <laughs> terrific. It's a positive song, because the ain't and the no cancel each other out. So it's saying gay people are gonna get into heaven, but still, grammar is so important at that age. It really is. But our media is so bad. You know what we need, we need is, is uglier reporters. We do, because they, they, you don't see them often. It's a lot of actors now, but every once in a while you'll flip on CNN and you're like, oh, that guy worked for his job, right? <laughs> he fought his way to the top. He didn't get any favors, you know? That's why the BBC's more reliable. That group of cross-eyed walruses they have on there are journalistic geniuses, you know? What, what do I get, what do we get in the United States? It's just a group of square-jawed dickheads and bright-eyed bimbos who missed the cut of the American Idol auditions, so now they're reading the results of the G8 summit to the entire country when they clearly think G8's a vitamin. <laughs> But I guess journalism is just another casualty of the war on terror, right? The war on terror that never ends. That we, well, we will give up. It seems like people will give up any right to be protected from terrorism, freedom of speech, freedom from, from unreasonable search and seizure, to be protected from terrorism. Twice as many people in your country and my country die from peanut allergies as from terrorism. So you see where I'm headed with this. 
We need to work equally hard to protect ourselves from peanuts, all right? We need a peanut alert chart. We, if someone leaves a bag of peanuts unattended, we gotta blow that shit up. We do. We, we gotta drop Marines into the planner's compound to shoot Mr. Peanut in the fucking face, all right? That goes too for anyone who wants to wear a monocle and a top hat. You wanna dress like a peanut, we will treat you like a peanut. Not even gonna get into pistachios. Who knows what's going on there? They got a shell like an oyster and a face like a moldy shriveled corpse's nipple. You know they're up to no good. You have to talk about these things. It's important to talk about these things. And, and whenever, you know, people don't like it, people get uncomfortable, they, they tell you, oh, just stop ruffling feathers, just be quiet. They, I'm told I'm too political. Oh, Lee, you wear your politics on your sleeves and your thong on the outside. And I'm like, that was one time, all right? That was one time. <laughs> And they, they tell me I'm too political. I'm too political for a lot of TV shows. I'm too political to perform at a lot of universities. Uh, every children's birthday party I perform at, they <laughs> fill out a complaint form. We didn't like that the clown put the balloon animals inside cages and said they were factory farm balloon animals. <laughs> well, fuck you then, all right? But the truth is, people who tell you that, they're taking a political stance, all right? They're saying to you, they're, 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 taking, they're, they're taking the stance that everything is fine with the status quo. They're defending the status quo. Silence is an equal political stance to telling people they're too political. And so I think we have to protest against this, this shit. And of course, any protest, the media gets very uncomfortable and they do their same, you know, the traditional media, do their same attacks where they're like, oh, it's only young people out there. It's only young people. First of all, it's not only young people, but even if it were, who should it be? Who's, who's, who's gotta sit around in this shit storm for the next 70 years, breathing the tainted air, eating the mutated fish, watching the fetid reality shit on TV, create a nation of malignant imaginations? It's young people, all right? We're the ones who have to sit in this rancid bathwater, twiddling our thumbs and flicking our ding-dongs and going, hey, remember back when we could have changed things? We should've liked changed things. <laughs> and our kids are gonna ask us, where were you when we could've gone a different path? And what are you gonna say? Well. There was this game where you slingshot these birds at these towers, and I got pretty good. Hey guys, thank you very much. Lee Camp, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we'll get on with our first uh, guest. He's a man with balls so steely, he could out-bootylicious Beyonce. Would you please give a huge round of applause for Mr. Mark Dolan? Hello, Mark. How are you? Great to see you, John. And uh, hello, Edinburgh in the daytime. For comedians, this is like, I don't know, 6 a.m. How many years have you been coming up? Well, um, I was at Edinburgh Uni, actually. So my first festival was actually 93, the summer of 93. Oh. And I was in an improv show at the Bedlam Theatre, which yes. is just down the road. It's actually still up and running. It's called The Improverts. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a... That got a laugh, that's good. Um, it's, uh, it was a good early, early baptism of fire, actually. It's for sure. a kind of so, very green yeah. comic like myself, very wet behind the ears. Wet everywhere, if I'm honest. Yeah, well, you know, um, I don't really I, want to go into that. To be honest, yeah, no, you know, how, you get, up. how you get your gigs is your own business. <laughs> this time around, it's, um, the show's called You're Awesome, and, and the idea is it's a stand-up show, but about all the kind of stuff that's great in the world, so it's very glasses half full. Right. Okay, and yes. um, at the end of the show, I get two people up who the audience consider to be awesome and we have a little kind of face-off and the audience votes for the greatest member of that night's audience. Which That's is, fantastic. It's been very eventful. I, it's amazing that the sort of uh, the extremes of kind of what a human being is capable of in their lives. So this woman started pointing a few nights ago to this guy next to her, it was her boyfriend, a guy called Ross, 
and he is um, he's a ski he's a skier, professional skier for for Britain, which is obviously that's pretty awesome that that's his job. But one of the things he does is he teaches blind people to ski. And when I say uh, to ski, I don't mean like on nursery slopes, but some of these people, some of these individuals do black runs, they go off piste. I mean, can you imagine that, you know, with a sort of a sight issue that you would go down the mountain and have that much courage? So anyway, we're all very humbled by that. But at the other end of the scale, uh, there was also a woman from Falkirk um, who had three freckles in a straight line on her left foot. Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually, in Falkirk, that is grounds for celebrity, in fact. Um, <laughs> As the son of a, of a pub landlord, ah. do you think this helped you in becoming a comedian? Definitely. Really, really um, great research, Sean. I'm very impressed with your knowledge there because it has shaped me um, as, as a, you know, in terms of my life choices professionally, but also mm. just as a person as well. I think if you grow up above a pub, the one thing that you will um, feel naturally comfortable around is people. Mm -hmm. um, because from the very, very, you know, moment that I was born, really, I was just, you know, passed from one stranger to, an, one drunk stranger to another. Right. It was the 70s. So you didn't, well, you didn't know your family very well then? You didn't know your family? A lot of that. And, and it was really, it was amazing because I remember getting bored in the school holidays and the only, this was the 70s, so we had, it was the 80s actually when I was growing up and mm. we had two hours of children's telly every day in the morning and that was it. Nothing to do in the school holidays. So I used to go downstairs to the pub and just kind of hang out with the customers and collect a few glasses. Drink. Drink, basically. Yeah. Uh, it's a strong, <laughs> strong lager. Skull at the time was my tipple. Um, so no, I really, uh, I just, it was immersed in humanity, if that doesn't sound too kind of dramatic. No, no, it? not at all. When I, when I was yeah. a kid, I used to be in a Kaylee band with my mum and dad. Um, it's true, we were in a band called the Aaron Airs. Uh, you won't have heard of us, we were rubbish. Um, and and I, I think that kind of, uh, working in that kind of environment, uh, that does actually you know, maybe bring out the performance side of you as well, because I was yeah. always in social clubs and stuff, but I, I used to play the accordion, and um, Oscar Wilde said the definition of a gentleman is somebody who can play the accordion, um, but chooses not to. <laughs> um, now, the moves you learnt for Bootylicious by Destiny's Child on Let's Dance for Comic Relief, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't a major gear change in the conversation, was it, by the no, way? No, we had to move on. The small matter of me dressing up as yes. a woman on national television, which yes. uh, I'm still getting flashbacks about, because I did uh, Comic Relief, which is, of course, another fantastic cause, and um, I paired up with, I don't know what the word, if it's three of you, I don't know how you pair up, but the word, there was a trio of Sean Keaveney from the BBC Six Music Breakfast Show, yep. Hal Cruttenden, an esteemed comedian and colleague of ours, and myself, and uh, yeah, we were, we, we were Destiny's child. We were renamed for one night only, Destiny's dad. Okay, because you could, doesn't matter how much makeup you put on us, the, the masculinity just pours, pours out of our, you know, our very beings. So it was, uh, it was a hell of a thing. Do you know what? One of the hardest things I've ever done. Well, dance takes a lot of discipline, doesn't it? Unless you've had uh, about six pints and then it's very easy. Correct. So that's, Correct. that's how I tend to start <laughs> dancing. Well, it's been awesome to talk to you, sir. Let's hear it from Mr. Mark Dolan, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Dolan. Thank you. Cheers, John. We've still got the awe-inspiring human beatbox beardy man. And remember, if you keep listening right to the end, you can find out how you can help Amnesty International. So keep listening. But now we have more stand-up. This woman's comedy is such a force of nature, she's even had a, a hurricane named after her. So batten down the hatches and welcome Diane Spencer. people who are listening and can't see me, I am a woman with red hair and white skin 
and green eyes. So in Britain, I'm known as a Fanta Pants. <laughs> sometimes Carrot Top, <laughs> sometimes Rust Bucket. Um, this doesn't affect many people, but um, there's a weird culture uh, in the British Isles. I used to be a secondary school teacher. I taught in the Southwest, and the day I decided to quit was when a little girl who I'd known for four years came up to me and said, Miss, no offence or nothing, but we've all been chatting, and we reckon if any of us had a ginger baby, we'd drown it in a sack. And at that point, I thought, wow, this term's going to be awkward, isn't it, Daisy? <laughs> Can't wait for parents' evening. But at some point, I'm going to need to teach abortion to somebody who I think should have had it done. <laughs> she started it. <laughs> it's very strange. I still get called names. I was walking down a street, and I heard a voice from on high say, all right, sugar cubes. I thought, that can't be me. Is that me? And it was. It was cockney rhyming slang. Sugar cubes, ginger pubes. <laughs> That's what happens when you encourage literacy among builders. <laughs> Did you know this has traveled? There are, it has traveled to Australia. There are two words for ginger people in Australia. One is bluey. Now, does anyone know the other Australian word for a ginger person? It begins with R. If you know it, please yell it. Yes, thank you. And do, do, did you hear the sound? You've got to say it in the accent. Ranger! So you'll stand on a street corner and a pickup will go past and they'll say, Ranger! And you go, yes, that's me. Ranger being an abbreviation of the word orangutan. <laughs> yes, Australia, because calling a human being a monkey based on that person's colour, no, Australia, that's fine. There was recently a ginger march down the streets of Edinburgh. It was our first ever ginger pride parade. Yeah, yeah. Organised by a ginger comedian called Sean Hitchens. And you know what? Who, why would you organise to have all the gingers of Scotland in the daylight <laughs> marching for an hour and a half in August unless you wanted to burn us all to death? They just wanted us all in one place. I have a friend who is so desperate to be well thought of, her opinions are never her own. She sadly takes everything she thinks of from the paper. So she'll be stood there in her Habitat kitchen and she'll be there with her, all her posh cookery books, you know, Jamie Oliver, Nigella, Heston Blumenthal. <laughs> and she'll have a big creosote pot and she'll be putting all these weird ingredients like twigs and eggs and beads and cream, cream fridge, cream fridge, cream fridge. It's yogurt. And she'll be staring at cauldron like a middle-class witch. And she'll say, I, I like to wind her up because of this. Like, I'll say to her, I got called Ginger again today. And she'll say, oh my God, I can't believe people still call you Ginger. Broken Britain, broken Britain. Yeah. And the guy who said it, he was wearing a hood. A hood? A hood? Oh my God, I bet he's a criminal. I bet he's got an asbo. I bet he can't read. Oh, broken Britain, broken Britain. Yeah. And he had a limp. A limp? A limp? Oh my God, I bet he's got scurvy. I bet his mother's so fat 
they had to cut her out of her council house. Oh my God, I can't believe this illiterate, criminal, disease, scurvy-ridden, probably immigrant, would dare judge you on your appearance. <laughs> Annie was black. <gasps> Maybe he was having a bad day. <laughs> My name is Diane Spencer, thank you very much. Diane Spencer, ladies and gentlemen, fantastic. We'll continue our cavalcade now. Mark Dolan is, is, is still with me, and uh, I'm going to introduce our next guest now. He's uh, an ex-copper and gambler who, at the age of eight, bet his teddy bear's eyes in a game of three-card brag <laughs> and lost. Please welcome Alfie Moore. How are you doing, Alfie? I'm good, John, thank you. The show last year was, was about the riots, did you say? The story behind last year was I wrote a show called I Predict a Riot. Right. In, well, that was in 2011. The plan was to bring it here in 2011. I was still in the police. Uh, I couldn't get the time off work in August because there actually was a riot that year, so... <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> timing is everything, Comedy so... timing. I cancelled Edinburgh and yeah. changed the title to I Predicted a Riot and brought it the year after. All right. Yes, so that's... A... <laughs> Maybe you could, if another show about writing, you could call it Put the Kettle On or something <laughs> yes, like that. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, that was quite clever, actually. Yeah. Now, <laughs> so, you were a, a, a policeman, now... Still am, technically. I'm on a career break from the police. I've not been at work for two All years. All right, so you're actually a secret policeman. Yes, so, Which I is am. why you're here. I am. Do you miss um, sort of bossing people around and generally just apprehending characters as you walk about, you go about your daily life? Yeah, do you know, I didn't used to do it like that. I was, I was always like this. I never sort of fitted into that sort of typical copper stereotype. I was always sort of a nice, friendly bloke who liked to have a laugh. Oh, you'd, you'd, when I was giving you a ticket, yeah, that's, you'd, be, uh, <laughs> yeah. you'd be a friendly local Bobby. Yeah, yeah, I think you could. You know, I think you could. Uh, you could be all right and be a cop. I think you'd you could... be the kind of Dixon of Doc Green type. Uh, yeah, that's how I, I saw myself. Yeah, and that's how I see you now, a cuddly copper. Yeah. Now, so you, you, tra you did the transition from, uh, you know, being a policeman, OK, you're officially off duty, as it were, for a little while, into comedy. Um, do you think audiences perceived you differently because they sort of saw you as an ex-copper? I never mentioned it to start with when I took up stand-up, and I've got sort of no sort of performance background or anything like that, and uh, I took it up as a hobby several years ago and, and liked it, but I never mentioned being a cop, and then other comedians said to me, when they found out, they said, you really ought to talk about your work. And the first time I mentioned it, people seemed to like it. They sort of, uh, they liked to know the inside. They found it interesting, so... Yeah, I'm sure after that there were less heckles. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing. Anyone's a bit cheeky, you're like, right, in the van. Yeah, yeah. No, people are, I think people like to see that, that uh, I think it's a form of community engagement, John, is a, is a sort of uh, political answer. But I, I think it's a perception they take themselves a little bit too seriously. And... Uh, I think it's good to see uh, you, you can have a, a daft one as well. Mm. Mm. Right, just one uh, very qu uh, quick question before we uh, wrap this little section up, and this is to both of you. Having the freedom to say and do what you want is essential in comedy, of course. Do you regret anything you may have said or done in terms of uh, material? All the time, yeah, yeah. I, I think. <laughs> Last night. So, yeah. so do you think there is a line that you shouldn't cross? I, I, personally, I do. I, I think, uh, and a lot of comedians think that, uh, are appalled when somebody gets sent to prison because they've released something on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, but I think there's a line. Certainly the cases where there's been a death and, and you've got a whole group of people, a family that's, that, that's 
you know, very, very clearly, very upset and understandably for somebody to to come out and say something offensive online about that incident. What's interesting is that I think there are different forums. Um, John, you're such a ridiculously, incredibly experienced comedian, and, and oh, you'll know darling. that the audience guide you in terms of taste and things like that. I mean, yeah. that's the most helpful thing, is that the public are the arbiters. And that is why, you know, obviously Amnesty International is an amazing organisation, and why free speech is so important, is that actually as comedians for example we're allowed to go as far as the audience will let us go not yes, a bunch of policemen true. or security officials or government characters at the back of the room well, which is if, how it is elsewhere in the world if i could be the public uh, public arbiter at this point i'd just like to uh, say well uh, that's a very interesting way of, of looking at it but we're going to be uh, moving on but let's hear it for alfie moore and mark dolan ladies and gentlemen Our next guest has set himself the challenge of recording a live album every day for a month. It's the lyrical shaman and award-winning beatbox sensation that is Beardy Man. That's good getting applauded before you've done anything. I really like that. Can you explain to anybody who doesn't know what you do, what you do? Uh, I started out life as a baby. Uh, I, no, I was a beatboxer about seven years ago and I won a couple of... Uh, national beatbox championships. Yes, they exist. Okay, and now can I stop you right there you and can. ask you, because I am about 80, um, what is a be beatboxer? A beatboxer is someone who goes <laughs> for a living. Okay. Blimey. Wow. That's Great fantastic. Job. Where I come from, that's just known as sinusitis. So, one album a show without any instruments, and this is how you do it. Now, when did you first start to beat your box, as they say? <laughs> Well, that's a very personal question. I first started to beatbox when I was about three. Um, three? So when most of the other kids were learning to talk, I was learning to do noises um, and, yeah. No, Did you job. have difficult communication skills when you were young? Or? Yeah, actually, I used to just blow raspberries at kids. I used to, like, my, par my parents were really worried because they'd come to nursery and they'd be told that their three-year-old child is just going around to other kids just going... Like this. So I had this raspberry chart. It was a very like progressive parenting. There was this chart in my kitchen with like stickers, like little gold stars, and like I get chocolate if I didn't blow raspberries. It was this whole system, but it just sublimated the urge. So now it's like so. My parents wanted me to have like a job, but now I do this, and it's kind of their fault, I suppose. Excellent. Um, paging Mr. Freud. Um, <laughs> Are you up for, as the youth of today like to say, are you up for dropping some beats for us right now, sir? I will totally drop some beats right now. Excellent. Yes. Before you do, let's say thanks to all the guests on today's show. Alfie Moore, Mark Dolan, Lee Camp, Diane Spencer, I've been John Maloney. Don't forget to keep listening right to the end to find out how you can help Amnesty. Alan Davis is in the hot seat tomorrow, then it's Julian Clary for a couple of days. Take it away, Beardy Man. I am going to do some stuff now, and to be more specific, I'm going to make a song based on a suggestion from one of you guys. Something slightly enigmatic or poetic or kind of, or something deep, like a double meaning or a double entendre or something. Something, something that sounds vaguely like a song title. Maybe think of something that like happened to you at some point or some random thought you had that you think, oh, that could be a song. Super Falafel. <laughs> 
Super Falafel. Now, let's talk about this. Does that sound like a song title? It could be a song title. Super Falafel. It would be a kind of psychedelic thing, really, wouldn't it? By like an Israeli trance band. What I want to sort of make clear before I start is that everything you're about to hear is made from my voice. Nothing you're about to hear is not from my voice. So let's go. This is an Israeli track called um, Super Falafel. And it goes a little bit like uh, this.
You have just been listening to free comedy courtesy of Amnesty International. Please make a donation to our vital work. My name is Champa Patel and I'm the head of Casework and Activism and I've worked for Amnesty International for nearly four years. I work with a team where we support anybody who wants to raise their voice, take action or show their solidarity with individuals who've been targeted just because they're defending their human rights. We know from the voices of those we've worked on behalf of that even a simple letter can provide so much hope when dealing with the most awful issues. For example, last year we worked on the case of Azza Suleiman. She's an Egyptian woman who was beaten by soldiers and knocked unconscious during the demonstrations last year. As a consequence, she now suffers from memory problems and nobody has been brought to justice for the harm done to her. After our campaign, she wrote to us and she said, Governments won't change without people raising their voices. She also said that she got so many letters from Amnesty, she thought all of England had written to her. People like Azza continue to inspire me. I feel really lucky to work for Amnesty. After almost four years, I still can't believe I get to do this. I do this work because I believe fundamentally in human rights, equality and social justice. It's a real privilege to be able to work with so many passionate colleagues, as well as the many courageous individuals we work with who face such great risk in order to protect human rights. To find out more about my work in Amnesty, just go to amnesty.org.uk and please donate just £5 by texting TRUTH and your full name to 70505. Thank you. Your text will cost £5 plus one standard message costing up to 10p. Amnesty UK receives at least £4.75. Please ask the bill payer's permission. To unsubscribe from contact, text STOP to 70505 at any time. Full terms and conditions at amnesty.org.uk slash SMS terms.